Hello everyone, I'm Shannon Torrance, and welcome to Magic is Real, a podcast focused on proof of afterlife, whose mission is to bring messages of hope and inspiration to others, and to spread the word that death is only an illusion. Our loved ones who cross over are still very much with us, and that we are all connected by and part of one divine universal love. If you enjoy these conversations and want to hear more like them, it would mean the world if you would subscribe, like, comment, submit positive reviews, and share with like-minded friends. Thank you so much for your support and for being a part of the Magic is Real community. I wish you peace, light, and love always. Hello, Magic is Real family. Thank you so much for being here once again. I am so happy today to have Dr. Lawrence Brock with me. Dr. Brock is a healer and he is also a near-death experiencer. Hello, Dr. Brock, thank you so much for being here. I would love to hear you tell our listeners what it is that you do as a healer because it's a lot of different things. So we'll start there. It is, and you know, as I mentioned when we were talking before, hit the record button um been trying to figure out how to explain what i do for many years and um i think the way i work and i think it's important in my spiritual development to not try to pin things down so much so uh basically when i work with people i um can see all different things sometimes from other lifetimes some things in their and energy bodies and they're unconscious and uh, basically have ways of bringing in this positive spiritual energy that seems to help people heal and feel better. It, I, I got a big kick out of it when people feel it because I work, I've worked online video and on the phone for like 15 years. So um, it's just so cool when people really far away and and sometimes it's a different day there, you know, when they're really far away. And um, so, yes, I don't know exactly how to explain what I do, but we could say it's spiritual counseling and healing. Um, it also, the tone of the sessions varies sometimes with person to person, depending what it is. Like sometimes I just know things that I don't really know. Like some, and I often I remind people I'm not a medical doctor, but sometimes I know medical things, sometimes psychological, always a lot of spiritual things. And um, then I, it is almost like praying for someone and just seeing the really good in them and just this really cool, amazing thing happens. Yeah, that's a that's I think you described it perfectly because it is so vast, the things that we can do with energy. I'm a medium myself and I know sometimes it's just I don't know why I know that this is just what I feel compelled to say and it, and for whatever reason it helps people whatever comes through yeah. they're meant to hear it's like wow that was so cool Absolutely. yeah um and I would love to hear before we go into the details of your near-death experience which I understand led you into this profession I would love to know who who was little Lawrence? What was your life like? What, what, who were you before this happened? Um, and, and what were your spiritual attitudes or beliefs that, uh, prior to this question. experience? Yeah. So, um, you know, people ask me that also. So for my doctoral treatise, part of the instructions were to look at your life and see something that works for you, basically, and then, you know, try to solidify it into a technique. 
And but I decided, even though I knew they were talking about look at my life right then, I decided to look at my life from when I was young and see things that worked through all the years. So um, that it is a good question. I can kind of look back after having done that to see the line from there to here. Even though my near-death experience was a really big shift, I could see inklings of that beforehand. Something in my life has been pushing me in this direction ever since I was a little kid. Um, I was, you know, I do the interviews and so two things that seem to have really influenced my life in this direction are women and car accidents. So I just happened to be attracted to girls when I was young that were interested in spiritual things and women as I got older that were into spiritual things and it just led me in that direction. I had a few car accidents that were big turning points in my life. I'm hoping that karma is over. I think it is, but um, so <clears throat> I, you know, if I someone would have asked me about what I do now when I was younger, I would have just thought it was total BS. So th there's that part. I, I mean, I was brought up in a Jewish family. I went to Hebrew school. Not much of it interested me at all. But some of the mystical, magical things in the Bible, for some reason, uh, for Hanukkah, I don't know if you know the story, but there's someone had a lamp that with enough oil to last like one day and it lasted for eight days and something in me when i heard that story it was like wow that is magical and there were some other magical things and um, so that wanting the magical thing was been in me since i'm very young i played sports i was a total jock as a kid and those times of performing beyond my abilities that were again magical those are the things i really like so I could look back and see that desire and that pulling and drawing and nudging towards those mystical, magical things. I wouldn't have described it the same way I do now, but I could see that there. Yeah, that's why I ask, because I find that people who have had near-death experience usually have had little hints dropped along the way that they were headed in that direction, whether it yeah. Whether it was a, another small out-of-body experience, some people had other near-death near experiences, um, and so many of them, not everyone, but so many of them had that push as you described it. And yeah. I think, um, so it's, it's, I think it's important to how our life experiences inform the experience that you have when your soul leaves your body. What you see there, what you feel there, and what you bring back with you, I think has to do with your life's path, because I think it is your life's path to have a near-death experience. Um, and so many of you, yeah. I would say the majority of you that I've met yeah. and gotten to know now are in the healing arts. A lot. And I've, I mean, I've had, I mean, one of my big things, and I tell the story a lot, I saw my grandfather after he passed away in a movie theater in Manhattan. And he was a very unique looking guy it just would be impossible for it to be someone I mistook for him. And that was before my near-death experience. I just really didn't know what to make of it and really surprisingly just dismissed it, you know, like, um, so yeah, I, yes. I, even after my near-death experience, I didn't talk about it for a long time. I didn't know how to describe it. Part of it is I started to meet people after that 
teachers and um, a lot of them had near, I say a lot of them, all of them have had near death experiences that are doing amazing or were, most of them are passed away, amazing, phenomenal things, you know, spiritually. So you just get to have this experience, this spiritual experience that there's no doubt. It's not like, I don't know, some things you get in your head and then you wonder if it's true. When you have your near-death experience, there's really no doubt. No matter how people say, how do you know it's true? I know it's true, even though I can't prove it. It's just I 100% know it. Yeah, and I I really find that interesting. Um, as we'll talk about what happened to you, I do want to say that there are people out there who will say, oh, it's just brain chemicals, endorphins, and, trying to protect your body from from trauma um and in a sense it is protecting you because it, your soul leaves your body so you don't have to feel that horrible pain um but then every single person i've heard of or or know that have had a near-death experience say unless you're when you're there you know it's not yeah. a hallucination yeah. it's too it's realer than real it's realer than this reality and i just am convinced that thousands upon thousands of people who've experienced aren't wrong and the fact that all of their what they see is pretty much the same thing with different yeah. themes personalized themes it's just you could hallucinate anything you could hallucinate an elephant at a circus <laughs> and why does it have to be the same angels all the time right, right, right. heavenly yeah. beings and the same messages and the life review so uh yeah so let's go into what happened to you another thing on that i mean yeah. something definitely changed in me from my near-death experience it, even though i could see the path before that after that i have met so many people and i mean it just you know i even it's funny because i have a good friend of mine who i would do a healing exchange with for many years and i don't know she always seemed like not that in she does Traeger work so mm -hmm. that's the type of body work and um it was funny because she set up for me to do a talk at a Unitarian church and she always seemed kind of not interested when I would talk her about talk to her about my near-death experience she anyway just before I gave the talk she said you should ask how many people in the audience have had similar experiences and she told me when she was young she would have out-of-body experiences all the time and I said, why didn't you tell me this years ago? Yeah. Because <laughs> I kept, it kept crossing my mind. How am I good friends with this person who didn't have a near-death experience? Because like all the people, you know, I feel really connected with have had some sort of experience. Mm -hmm. Or some, and I find that too, as someone who's not a near-death experiencer, but who's the majority of my close friends at this point are near-death experiencers. Yeah. It also can be just having had a spiritual awakening yeah. um, and having, like you said, seeing your grandfather in the movie theater. And for me, it was when I was 13 or 14, a huge orb that appeared yeah. when I turned off the light in Westport, Connecticut, as we discussed um, oh, in my house, that it appeared to show me that it was real. Uh, and, and sometimes we'll shove these things aside and say, oh, I don't know what that was. It was just weird. Right. But then you keep going, well, this keeps happening. There's something to this. So I'd love to hear um, what what did happen, where what was happening in your life at the time, and how did you? My near death experience. Yeah, I was actually living in Colorado, uh, in Longmont, Colorado, with, and my roommate was from, 
my hometown. So uh, we decided to come back east to visit our parents for a little bit. And when we got back, uh, we drove in his car. And um, when we got back, we found out a, a young lady that we knew from high school was having a party. So we decided to go. Um, he, so we both went to our parents' house for a while and rested, and then he came to pick me up, but I decided to take my mom's car to the party instead. And that, so that I lived, we both lived in Rybrook, New York. The party was in Mamaroneck, New York. So, you know, maybe a 20 minute drive away. Um, at the party, we were definitely partying, drinking and doing some other things. Um, As you do. Yes, in those days. And back then, people didn't really think of drinking and driving. It was, you know, it wasn't such a thing. Um, so I didn't think that I was that high at the end of the party, but in line with what I said, how women have really been a big part of keeping me on my spiritual path. I um, wanted to connect with the young lady who was having the party, and I uh, she was just too busy during the party. So I sort of mocked up being drink, you know, more drunk than I was and said, I needed my friend to drive me home. I'll get my car in the morning. And so I could go back and talk to her. Um, almost all the way back to my parents, I realized my sister needed to use my mom's car in, in the morning for work. So I asked my friend, I went, he drove me back to the party. And I do still have the image in my mind, and I should have realized that actually walking out of the house where the party was, I don't remember actually leaving the house, but walking towards the door, I still have the image in my mind. And it it looks like someone who's drunk. You know, the image, it's like the colors are a little too bright and a little fuzzy around the edges. And um, so I got in the car, that part I don't remember. The next thing I remember is being out of my body, looking down. Apparently the car was squished beyond what you would think someone could survive. And my body was like leaning, like sitting, leaning against the tree and a police officer was crouching over me. Um, so apparently what happened, I hit the tree and the car was smashed. And um, then I, so it was white light all around me. I was looking this way towards the tree and the car and uh, part of the surprising part, it seemed totally fine that my body looked dead and my head was smashed and everything. Um, but behind me, and you know, I often describe this over the years and finally someone said, so you must have been able to see behind you. I didn't even think of that. I go, yeah. So I, I knew what was behind me, even though my eyes were facing this way, there was a big white circle a different shade of white than that was all around me and then a like a light being that was behind me inside that circle and that light being again all these different shades of white was radiating white with a little tiny bit of gold at the end of the um, these white radiating beams of light out of that and then the being behind me said you have to go back your father wants you to stay something I didn't know right then that father was my was God, not my physical father. And I just thought, well, I've, you know, everything just seemed so perfect. There was a part of it just, even though my body was there, I still felt like I had a body and it just felt so nice. So 
like even I can close my eyes and feel it just like everything is right. Everything is perfect. I'm loved. And that's what it felt like. And so then I went back into my body and came to three days later in the hospital. Wow. That's so interesting to me, um, just how, how it's one of those things that's so fast and yet it still has such a huge impact. Yes. When you woke up in the hospital three days later, did you remember what had happened right away or did it take a while to sink in? Were you just two in your body and what were you feeling? I imagine you were in pain. Um, I don't remember being in pain. I'm sure I was on some sort of medication, but um, I do, um, you know, you say that I don't really know. I don't remember not remembering. It's not like I remember all of a sudden remembering. Um, I do remember, I was standing here. I remember my parents there and the, the neurologist, like we were standing in a circle. So this is after I recovered enough to stand up and the neurologist was talking and then he sort of left and he came very close to me, like, you know, the, close and he looked at me, said, you're lucky. Like, and he had this smirk on his face, like he had done such a good job. And I know that's how he felt. Um, and then a nurse said to me, it was touch and go. So that was all the medical information I got. Um, how I've learned to describe what happened actually came after because I'm a very kinesthetic feeling kind of person and I know what it felt like. I know it it just there was there was kind of a knowing that everything was good, that even, you know, just this great knowing that happened with it. So um part of like I said, I started to meet a lot of people. One of the things that happened was after my near-death experience, I moved back to Westchester, New York. And I was in my apartment and someone knocked on the door. Again, there was this beautiful woman at the door who said, oh, I'm friend of this friend. I'm the sister of this friend of yours. And she ended up introducing me to this Sufi Sheikh who was a spiritual teacher. And when he started to talk to me, um, a few things that he said, first he started talk. It was, it's kind of funny that I was born in a Jewish family. He was an Islamic teacher, but he started to talk to me about Jesus and Mary. And he would talk about how Mary's openness to God's love. That's how she let in the Christ energy. It's like, wow, that Christ energy and that love was the white light around me. He also used this phrase, the ocean of divine love and benevolence. And I go, that also describes that. Then when he started to talk about Jesus, it still like start to get kind of tingly. It's like, oh, that being behind me was Jesus, just the way he talked. So those words, and that was, you know, 35 years ago. And still when I use those words, and it just really connects to describe the situation. But the thing that happened, I just started meeting a lot of people that had near-death experiences and teachers and learned a lot. And, uh, many coincidences let's say yeah synchronicities i um was it something you were had you told anyone in your family had you told your friends other how did you how do you feel you were led to these people i know we yeah. know the answer to that but what 
led you to meeting all of these spiritual people? I've looked at that and it it's kind of cool to look back and see how that happened. But the one where this this woman showed up at my door is kind of cool because I didn't do anything. It just happened. And well, one thing I definitely noticed that was a physical thing. My hands would be after that became warm when I touch people. So that was something. And even though I knew it was a real experience, I, you know, now people would like, you can look online and read about this stuff. I had never heard of it, a near-death experience I never heard of. And so it was kind of like my mind saying no, but so many things saying yes. So I started to explore the thing about hands-on healing. Um, I, let's see. Um, yeah, someone in there suggested that I try a polarity treatment. And I and actually, that was in Vermont, but and this, so I had a polarity treatment that was really profound, but um, she suggested I do some follow-up sessions. She happened to know someone actually in Westport, Connecticut who did polarity. And so I went there, had sessions for a while. And one day the woman said, I'm starting a class. I think you'd like it. And I just found, you know, having a, a structured way to use my magical hands basically was a great experience also. And what is polarity for those who do, who may not know? Uh, it's a very gentle form of body work, similar to what people think of as acupressure, but generally more gentle. It's also based on Ayurvedic medicine, as opposed to like acupuncture and, you know, Chinese. So from India, Ayurvedic medicine. That's the thing that I know is that after you came out of your near-death experience, you noticed that you had these healing abilities. How yes, did you? Sort of. I yeah, noticed. sort of. That's what I mean. It's I know you didn't just notice it out of the blue. I know you said one of the things was that your hands would be warm if you were yeah. touching someone. What were some of the other ways that you noticed a shift or a difference in your consciousness or perception? You know, I guess I'm kind of stubborn, but it just seems like a lot of things kept happening to me as opposed to me doing them. Um, yeah, you know, the, one of the things that happened was I told a friend, uh, actually my friend's father, my next door neighbor growing up in Westchester, his grandfather was very ill and I was talking to my friend's father and I said, I'll pray for him. And when I prayed for him, I felt something happen. And then the next time I saw my friend's father, he said, I think something happened when you prayed. And that was pretty cool that he would be aware of that and open to that. And you know, because the grandfather went from basically, you know, they were thinking he was going to die any second to living for months longer. It was, that was very cool. Yeah. And at what point, what were you doing now? Um, as you, I'm assuming at this point, you were healed enough to kind of go on with your life. What kind I was of alive, work? Yeah. yeah, you were alive. What were you doing with yourself? I know you were doing I, the things that you just mentioned, but yeah. what were you doing for work? And, and what did your life look like? Um, well, my, let's see. I was working in my family electrical contracting company, doing sometimes doing electrical work, mostly working in the office. Um, I started the polarity sort of as a hobby, not really a, as a profession. Um, you know, there, I still, and I had done yoga some, so I did yoga. And I, I don't know, you know, it's, I didn't take it so seriously, you know, again, I went to yoga classes a lot because there were pretty women in the class, actually. So. At what point did you start to say, oh, I want to do healing professionally? Um, yes, all it 
electrical contracting is a very lucrative business and it, we were doing jobs in office buildings and supermarkets and some of the jobs were great i like the work it's very they're the, doing the work's very physical there's planning the jobs is very intellectual it's just a lot of the people dealing it's very business so there were some great jobs when you're working for good people but a lot of it's struggling with men for money basically and I just realized I needed to change and I had been doing polarity kind of as a hobby and I decided to change. Um, and I did, you know, one of the things I learned is about manifesting stuff. So I did the whole process that I did and did some what I learned and, you know, added in my own tweaks here and there. And uh, my practice took off very quickly, magically. Um, so I wanted to do that. I, um, I got an electrical job where I was actually going to do the work for the county of Westchester, and, but it was in the county penitentiary office buildings, which meant I was the only person actually working there during the hours I was working. All the other work was done by the inmates, and I wasn't allowed to be there at the same time they were there. Normally in a contract, and most jobs you have to work from like eight to four, since I was the only one there, I realized I could ask for permission to work from six to two, and they gave me that, and I was able to, in the afternoon, focus on, in the evening, focus on getting my practice going. But I basically wrote out in detail, like four page long, what I wanted to do, you know, from waking up in the morning, being happy about it, how much money, to the clients, and a cute story again with the women. I wanted a lot of pretty women to come see me, and I went into a lot of judgment about it, like I shouldn't, I'm doing something spiritual, that shouldn't be a part of it. But I knew to trust that, so I put that in my ideal inner image that I call. And, you know, I did these processes of reading it over a hundred times and then reading it over a bunch of times every day for, for more than a month. And shortly after I started my practice, I met this woman who was a manicurist in New York City for like Vogue magazine and Bazaar. I don't even know if Bazaar still exists, but so, and she loved my work. So for about three years, the majority of my practice were models coming to see me. That's so, funny because even though you judged yourself for it and right. you think, well, that was a little shallow, but and I know you just wanted to connect. You were just, you just wanted that connection with people. Um, it wasn't in some kind of I, I'm objectifying way I know yeah, no it, but yeah whatever right all those questions came up and then it's like something really good because I mean it is a really tough business can just imagine I mean it's bad enough for women to be judged so much for how they look but imagine your job you know that there was this one woman who was very pretty and the nicest person it's like her feet were like a half size too big mm -hmm. kept her from so much work it's like man that's tough that's so hard. You know, these little things. And so it, I just helped a lot of people. It, right. It's a funny, quirky little story that it is because it shows that that even though it was a weird thing that you asked to manifest, <laughs> it happened anyway. And it's and it was a good thing. Yeah, there and it was a good thing perverse about it. That's... Right. And it and I don't think that if there were if your intentions had been perverse. God, the universe would have yeah. given that to you if in that sense. And I, I'm a big manifester. So I was going to ask you about that and how you went about manifesting. Um, yeah. Did it, because it sounds like you just read it over and over. Um, did it involve meditation as well? Did you know about that? 
or was it more just I repeat these things to myself over and over? Basically, part of it is reading it over a hundred times, which took takes hours to do, and then reading it every day, like over a few times for uh, more than thirty-two days. Basically. And how do you think that that works? Because I I'm really interested in manifestation, and I just would love to hear your perspective on why manifestation works. Uh, well, I think there's a few things that happen. One is there's the universal consciousness um, that you gets the energy in there, that pattern in there by doing it over and over again. There's part of us that I call the basic self that actually starts to believe that it's happening and acts like it's happening. And then in the spirit, it starts to, I mean, it actually gets, now I can see that, that actually something in the different levels of spirit, it, creates that there right it's your energy is meeting spirit where it is as much as possible and raising your vibration to meet the vibration of spirit so that they can the energies can be in alignment which i think is really cool and i've watched it happen in my own life too even just having moved here from los angeles and didn't know how it was all going to come together i was like well i'm in a relationship and i live in la and he doesn't want to leave and how's and all the things that i wrote down came to fruition I just kept writing them every night, didn't know how. And I just said, I'm giving it up to you. I don't know how it's going to fall into place. But when it fell into place, it was like an avalanche. And I find that so fascinating and interesting. It's cool. It's really cool. And so at this point um, in your life, um, you're, you're, you're acting as a healer. But I also wanted to go back a bit just because I know that a lot of near death experiences have told me that coming back after a near death experience was quite jarring for them. Yeah. Did you feel that way or did you, because it kind of sounds like a lot of these people that felt that way that had trouble acclimating to flesh and flesh and bone had yeah. maybe much more in depth near death experiences where they were felt they were there longer. Yeah. Um do you think did you have that at any point did you feel displaced? Um I mean I think I mean, I've been very sensitive since I'm young, so I kind of felt displaced and still it's an effort. Let me put it that way. You know, yeah. it's, um, it takes a commitment. It takes a lot of work and, you know, now it's not so much, but, um, you know, look, part of it is I'm a cancer, I'm introverted. I'm very kinesthetic. These are just very feeling oriented things. So. You know, that book, Stranger in a Strange Land, mm-hmm. I think a lot of teenagers can relate to that, but I really related to that. Um, I didn't, I don't, it's hard to answer that because it's, to me, it's always like looking, it, another part of it is I'm kind of naive. Like I really see the good, that good thing in people. And when people aren't acting from that place, it's always kind of strange to me. Even though I know that's the way it is, I think that part, when you see this really wonderful thing and then you start to see there's that is in everyone and then some people are not in touch with it at all there's some people that are not in touch with it at all and they think they're really doing something really good and they're just not being nice to people and so um yes it's it is uh there is a struggle of dealing with the physical world but we can that's why I meditate every day. That's why I connect with people. That's why I love my work, because I can connect to this beautiful, loving energy. And, uh, you know, so it's it's a little gentler than, um, yeah, and look, knowing that 
those things are there for a purpose or to strengthen me yeah. helps. Yes. Yeah, it's it's true. And it's I think it's like that for all empaths anyway, where we just yeah. can't imagine how you could be cruel, especially <laughs> what's going on in the world right now know, in like, Afghanistan and that sort of thing. It's like you just can't imagine how people could hurt people the way that they do yeah. anyway. And then to go to whatever you call it, the other side, the other dimension, yeah. heaven. I think yeah. heaven's a good word because it gives the, the feel of what it really is, is, you know, just this beautiful, wonderful thing. And see, then I say it and it goes into my heart and that's like, oh yeah, I can feel it right now. Yeah. So, you know, yes. Yeah, that's beautiful. And I, it, and it must be really hard to go. It's one thing to come from here and think my life is pretty good and then die and then go to heaven and go, oh, wow, this is even better but to go to even better and then come back. It's like coming down. It's talking to someone about yeah. you know, drugs, dopamine and um, like the drug ecstasy and how when you do yeah. ecstasy, it's like you were already happy before. And then suddenly you're like, wait a second, I can be like 20 times more happy. Yeah. But then when you come down from that back to baseline, suddenly you're depressed because now you're comparing yeah. it. So that must be so jarring, I think. And that's actually something that a lot of people don't talk about or know about with near-death experiences. They think, oh, how cool I want. I want to go through that. And most people I've spoken with have said, well, yes, many gifts have come from my experience, but I don't wish it on anybody because it's also very difficult. Yeah, the, I mean, the physical part, there's no, I mean, there's no need for that. So people can have those experiences without their body dying, basically. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, there's a hard thing of being sensitive and doing in a world where there's so many people not really doing the right thing to stick to those principles. And, you know, yes, I'm just thinking of situations. I'm really fortunate that I, I have a teenage daughter and because of that, I work with the local school system, which is really admirable that they're open to me being there and being on these committees and things. And it's, I don't know, there's definitely dealing with, in every situation, there's people that just don't get it. Let me put it that way. And it's hard, but it's, you know, to me, it's like a mission. Like that's part of it is I, I can't sit back. I, you know, I do feel like we are our brothers and sisters keepers and we have to help them. And, you know, especially kids, you know, and children, they, we just have, to, I have to do things to make the world better. That's all there is to it. Yeah. And that's wonderful. I think that's what most people, every person I've spoken with yeah. who's crossed over and come back now have that mission. Thank goodness. And that's why I like them so much because <laughs> they don't get hung up on, not that they're not human and don't have yeah human emotions and um they still go through breakups and they still make mistakes yeah. and they still aren't their best selves all the time and they still feel anger but at the end of the day they understand that those aren't the thing they, they understand kindness in a way that i think people understand objectively but it's such a different form of kindness because it comes from a place of universal love which is so hard for any yeah. earthling to really grasp because we think oh i love this person but do we love is a feeling it's i mean love is not just a feeling it's acts of service it's being of service to another person even in the smallest ways showing yeah. up for someone so i think that's such a beautiful thing that it is sort of your soul's mission to be here to heal other people and yeah. I can, obviously it brings you a lot of joy um, and then in your healing work, yes. you have this, you would, you had mentioned 
that there's this way of sort of reading energy, I would say, just to yeah. put it under a blanket term, term. How do you then know what to do with that energy or how to heal a person? Yeah. What are some of the modalities that you use? I'm sure it's on a case by case basis. Yeah, there's, um, well, I did start out doing hands-on healing. I did crystal healing for a while. Uh, I sort of used electronic device for a while. Um, in there, it's, there are thousands of masters, angels, teachers, and saints in spirit that are here to help us. Um, and you can't, it's like you can't do nothing. Sometimes you have to do stuff to get, <laughs> as you can tell, I don't really know how to explain it, but there's like, let's say, it's almost like there's different doorways and you, sometimes you need to do things to open those doorways to call these spiritual beings in. Um, so sometimes it is getting information. So there, we have a certain authority over things and some of that authority is by labeling what it is. Um, so I have, um, I just, I know a lot of stuff in my mind mentally also. So when I'm working with someone, you know, I'll get a general idea what it is. It's, I mean, it could be anything. It could be acupuncture points. It could be psychological. It could be um, supplements. It could be anything. And then, you know, then you get your first step of information then you get the next step and then you get to it. And then the door opens and the light comes in. It's like, they just feel better. So. Yeah. I think that kind of what well, it sounds like you let your intuition lead you about what each person yes. needs. But I also have a lot of information. So when I don't know exactly what it is, so I, I'll get to a certain, usually my intuition is all that's required and I'll get all the information. Sometimes I'll get to a certain point that I, what I know and this light energy is not coming in then I will check in my mind lists of things that I have. So if it's um, like, let's say if it's a skeletal system, there's something out of balance and you start to check, well, is it the skull? Is it the spine? Is it, if I didn't get to that point already and the energy didn't start to move. <clears throat> so then it's, then you get to the right, the key, and then it opens up and it happens. Is there, a particular story or experience that you've had with your clients yeah. um, that you can that you can remember off the top of your head that you'd like to share about how this healing really does help people. One of the really cool ones was someone I was talking to uh, on the phone, and I was able to see there was a Native American healing guide with them. And I'm reluctant to say healing guides because usually people connect. They're not connecting to as high a place as possible when they use that term. So she was talking to me and I saw this in one second and she was talking, telling me she had pain through her whole body for years. And she was talking and talking, I, you know, I've learned to interrupt people and say, there's this Native American healing guide with you. And she said, oh, I know someone told me about it. And I, and I could tell she was afraid. I said, you don't understand this healing guide is there to help you. And like that, she, go, she said, I feel better. And I saw what happened. So that, that was a very cool story. Yeah. That's so interesting. I, I'm actually Reiki certified and haven't had a lot of time to practice it. Yeah. But, um, and it's even hard for me to wrap my head around what's happening. Yeah. When it's happening. I don't even know. I just know that I, something happens. Yeah. Something happens. <clears throat> I, I have, I 
had a friend that was just going through a lot of grief and had some back pain. And yeah, I just did Reiki on her and she just burst out into tears and just said, yeah. that was amazing. And it's like, I literally don't know what happened. All I know is it was my intention to heal, to help her heal. And yeah. I've also used it on babies because I'm a childcare provider. And uh, there was a baby that the mom said, can you go up and check on him? I don't want him to see I'm here because then he'll lose it. So yeah. she said, if you can just try to get him down, he's going to cry. But went up there, came back down five minutes later. She said, what, what happened? What'd you do? He was crying. He was, um, yeah. he'd been crying. Cool. And I said, I didn't say anything to him. I just rubbed my hands together, set my intention, yeah. laid hands. Yeah. And he, his body just went floop. And he just fell right back down into sleep. And, oh, cool. and I've tried that with other, I knew it would work because I had tried it with other babies as well. And so something happens that calms the system yeah, and it's energy. Yeah. So yeah, Saigon thing, it's not with a person, but I do house clearings also. And, oh, wow. Um, so my, actually, for, this is for a realtor and um, actually my sister's a realtor and so she asked me one time at a family dinner if I do house clearings. I said, yes. She said, oh, I have two houses. And she said, do I need to give you the addresses? I said, no, I don't need the addresses. But um, then she kept asking. So I said, OK, give me the addresses, because I knew sometimes what I do is a little even out there for people who believe in it. Um, but as soon as she told me the address of one of the houses, this purple light showed up. and you know, that house was done like in one second. And then she got an offer on that house the next day and it sold. And I didn't find out about this till many months later because she didn't tell me. But what I found out was they were trying to sell that house for like seven years on and off and it wow. wouldn't sell. And that was just, again, you know, I'm telling these instant stories, but a lot of times it takes more than one session um, for- yeah things to happen. What I'd love to know too, is yes. what is it that you wish more people knew? What's the universal theme that you learned from having crossed over and yeah. brought back with you? What is it that you wish more people knew or would like to share with people? Uh, that everyone has that connection to spirit in them and through their qualities and their abilities, it can be expressed into the world and that everyone has something really cool they can do you know in one way what i do it's easy to see how cool it is some people have skills that we might not consider i mean being a parent is one of the coolest skills you know any anything that you can get into and really love can be a, an expression of spirit um, absolutely but i i do think it takes work and i you know, regularly to stay connected to that. There's part of us that does not know that. It's funny because it's like the part of us we are connected with the most doesn't know it. And then all the other parts to us know it, but by connecting into our heart, connect, doing meditation, doing journal writing and things like that, we can live from that place more of the time. I get one thing I'd like people to know is you don't have to meditate perfectly. So doing meditation works. And some days I've been doing it almost every day for 40 years. Some days it seems like it's not working to me, but I know it is on a level that, you know, I'm just, my mind's too chattery. I have too much going on. And, you know, I, 
for me, about after about a half an hour, almost always I get to this very peaceful place, but sometimes I don't have a half an hour to do meditate. So I think that is, that's something I would really like people to know that meditation works and you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get your mind to be totally quiet or, you know, just to sit down and take that time for yourself and your connection to God or spirit or whatever you call that. I agree. I hear so many people say, oh, good for you. I can't do that. Yeah. I have 80, I have ADD. I can't do that. Well, do you think I don't, I mean, I, you know, it's, I don't have ADD, but I, I, when I was a child, I used to read voraciously. I could read a book in a whole day. That was because yeah. we didn't have devices. We didn't have, we didn't have yeah. even cable TV till I was a little bit older. So we didn't have all these distractions. And so I had the laser focus and I was very present. And then as I got older and there were more distractions and now there are phones and you've always got to answer. And there's never a time where you're not responding to a notification or yeah, an email yeah. or a friend wanting to talk or, which is fantastic, but it's so easy. Now it, it creates new neural pathways. And so I even find myself going, I'm going to read tonight and I'll sit there and read three sentences and go and get and go, what? what email just came in? I, it's yeah, yeah. very, right. and so now yeah. I do, I do meditation and yeah, sometimes, sometimes I realize that I haven't been, that I've been thinking <laughs> all the time about some things, but that's okay too. Sometimes you need that moment to just sit and process and then take note and observe and that's okay. Um, yeah. I mean, I was just in, went to Europe with my daughter and so I didn't, basically I didn't have as much time as I like to for doing my spiritual practices. Um, but I was glad because I discovered all my time of doing it just really paid off, but it, it took a certain discipline. So basically today I had a great meditation and it was like, I didn't really have that. Well, I didn't experience it in such a nice way for a couple of weeks. So I really missed it. So today it was like, ah, uh, really. Yeah, that's so, that's so nice. Yeah. Uh, and then the, my last question for you is, how has this experience changed you the most? Yeah, it's, it's, um, you know, you're saying that I'm just not a normal person. Yeah. <laughs> it's that, you know, that I, that I look at the good in people that I make my spiritual purpose, the purpose of my life, that I take the time to meditate. I'm a very dedicated father. You know, there are just things that I just, they're just things they're supposed to be a certain way and it's kind of idyllic, but I guess that, that my, my life has become very committed to that. Um, yeah. So, yeah. I guess I'm, you're saying, how did it change? I don't know. I mean, my whole life's about it now. So it, it's looking back at, I mean, I could see the path of getting involved with polarity, then meeting an, another person who another person and this, and you know, this path, but it, my life changed from basically being a businessman and to being a spiritual person who met it, you know, takes, makes my spiritual loving a priority. I do business consulting and try to convey, I convey those messages to business. I mean, really cool business owners who make a lot of money you need to make. And I even say, I don't really use the word spiritual loving in business but the comparable, you know, the equal to that. And everyone goes, oh, they get it. So, um, you know, just expressing the spiritual principles, the spiritual guidelines to, you know, in everything, it 
just becomes a priority. Yeah, it can help us in all areas of our life. And yeah. it's one of those things where if you're business consulting, it's the idea of rather than focus on the money, okay, I'm starting this business because I want to be a millionaire. Yeah. How about do the business because you love it, you want to be of service, and you're excited about it, and you have yeah. passion for it. They say do what you love and the money will come. And that's just one well, example. And, and making millions of dollars can be part of it too. That's Yeah, amazing. it can be, especially, you know, if you – if you if you go forward with the best intentions, it's not the companies that we gravitate towards are the ones that we can tell care about us. Yeah. And, and are coming from a, a more heart centered place. So, yeah, luckily it's catching on. So I think the last information like the, you know, 25 percent of the Fortune 500 have uh, companies have like mindfulness uh, yeah. programs in their company. So it's. You know, like I said, I do stuff at the local school system. They don't can't really talk about religious things, but they have uh, they don't even like to use the word mindfulness. But yeah, it was I'm on this committee. Uh, it's called the School Climate Transformation Project. And the first year, you know, every once once in a while, I mention meditation or mindfulness. And finally, people said, yeah, we practice that, but there's not really a place for it in school. So, and over the summer, I decided I'm not going to mention it this year because it's just, you know, I have to be a little more subtle in my approach. I went in and the person who does the statistics, so they do a lot of surveys. He, this guy's really good with the statistics. And the beginning of the meeting goes, oh, I guess this year we're focusing on mindfulness. And I'm going, what? Like, how did that happen? You know, so. There you go. So, that's that's so funny. So that it's in a public school system, that is really cool. So. It is really cool. Well, thank you so much for being here, Lawrence. It's You're so wonderful yeah. to hear your story. And thank you for, for sharing your message. And I really, I know it will inspire others. All of these stories yeah. really do. So what, I guess a business plug I should do when you ask what I want to say. About. Yeah. So my, yeah, I have my practice. My website is lawrencebrock.com. My YouTube is Dr. Lawrence Brock. Um, something in there also, you know, I, so I do meditation, I do Tai Chi, I do yoga, you know, very regularly meditation almost every day, the others most days. And, um, but I do talk to someone else who does what I do. And when you, one of the things you're at, like, don't let your ego get in the way. So everyone thinks they have to do this on their own. You don't, it's not made to do on your own. And, you know, I can, like I can see so much with other people, I don't get to see as much for myself. And it's just set up that way. So we can't avoid our karmic learning. Um, so it's a you make it no matter what. So you don't let other people's stuff get in the way. You don't let your stuff get in the way. You don't let the weather get in the way. You know, you just don't let things get in the way. It's just what's my next step? How can I be loving and take my next step at the same time? That's beautiful. Thank you again for your time and energy You're for welcome. being part this of this. Great. I am so happy to have such wonderful people to join me in this project. And yeah, I know that cool. I know that so much of what you had to share will really resonate. And I always think that um, a lot of what we hear is what we're meant to hear today. So yes. um, it's been an honor to speak with you. And I thank you again. Thank you.